back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we discuss films that maybe were really big back in the day. Maybe they didn't get enough attention when they first came out. For whatever reason, for whatever reason nobody talks about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuffman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by the amazing Melanie Linsky, who's going to be here to talk about her new film, Lady of the Manor, as well as, yes, we already have an episode about Heavenly Creatures. So we will talk a little bit about Heavenly Creatures with her because, of course, that was her debut film and she's the star. But we're also talking about Tom McCarthy's 2011 win-win that stars Paul Giamatti, Amy Ryan, Melanie, and uh, introduction, the introduction of Alex Schaefer to audiences. And uh, I love that. I love, I love both. Of, I love all these movies. Well, let's not forget Bobby Cannavale. Uh, Bobby Can- can't forget Bobby Cannavale from Win Win because, oh man. I love, I love when Bobby does like this like very specific comedic turns i i think i think it's what i want to see him in the most about but for those who don't know lady of the manor is the debut feature length directed film from justin long and his brother christian long they also co-wrote it co-produced it co-everything that justin's also in the film and it's a it's a movie about a lost stoner i guess you could say who finds her way in a job uh, giving the tour guide for a, uh, a an old Savannah manor where the original inhabitant may have been haunting it still, we'll call it that way. And she kind of teaches her the right way to kind of go about things. Is that a good is that a good dis- description? I I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give I don't want to give actually too much away because it, it's a ghost story in essence, Ooh. but uh, but it's different. It's different. And then when when uh, is a is a movie about a lawyer who is having issues with money, kind of takes on the conservatorship technically for one of his clients and doesn't kind of go about the rules, but then it kind of blows out of proportion when the client's grandson comes to kind of see him and then ends up staying with Paul and his family because his, uh, his home life isn't so great. Another good synopsis. I, I would say uh, you're, you're two for two tonight. Well, it doesn't give away all the wrestling stuff in it, which is funny because Alex Schaefer, who plays the young kid, he was actually a teen sensation wrestler. Wait, there's wrestling in this movie. There's wrestling in this movie, and real wrestling, like Greco-Roman wrestling, not, not WWE wrestling. Son of a bitch, you hid this from me. Yeah, sorry. And I've watched the movie. <laughs> but he, no, all right, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more of that after. But in the meantime, I think maybe we'll get Melanie and then we'll talk about the rest after. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, I'm just excited to be talking to Melanie. I adored her for for so long. You know, just, yes, yes. We will talk more about that after we get to speak to herself. So Melanie Linsky, come on down to the Overdue Rentals rental counter. Patent pending, but we're prohibited. Melanie Linsky, first of all, the combination of you and Judy Greer alone is something that definitely, you know, that is the poster right there. But then you've got... Justin Long is a co-writer, direct, co-director, and mm-hmm. co-star. Uh, Patrick Duffy, Ryan Phillippe, like this amazing cast. Um, I had to adjust him before we did a little independent movie together called And Then I Go. Um, and it was a very serious movie, but we had a lot of fun together. And it was a couple of years that, you know, we stayed in touch. And then a couple of years later, he said, I've written this movie and I think you would be great for it. And I would really, you know, I, I want to get Judy Greer. And he said, Rita Stoner sits on the couch. <laughs> this sort of hilarious person. And he said, but if you'd rather play the lady, you know, which one you want. And I 
pretending to be high and you know eating toast for a whole movie was very appealing um and I also just thought the script was really funny I just I read it and I laughed and I was like I want to do that it sounds like a lot of fun and the sort of getting to do it with Judy was so great so yeah that's how it happened yeah I mean how do you pass up just offbeat comedy uh, again sweatpants which those look like really comfortable and really kind of yeah. cute with hearts like I would personally wear those yeah yeah I would personally wear them too if I had them in my life which I don't but um yeah they were the, every outfit was very comfortable um it was nice to just not it was really nice as a woman to play a character where there was just no thought about what my body looked like what my face looked like just getting to be really truly free and comfy in the way that men get to be I just really thought like this woman just isn't thinking about it she doesn't give a shit no and then slowly she sort of does refine herself to a point but it's not yeah. ugly duckling <laughs> syndrome where it's like oh now she's wearing ball dresses and she's mm. improperly and totally changes it's it, the beautiful thing about your the dynamic between you and Judith here is your character does get to change but it's more of a personal growth versus a total makeover yeah. that so many movies ad nauseum just kind of force upon these characters. You're exactly right, yeah. And I wouldn't have been interested if it was some kind of physical makeover. The thing I liked was that she gained a lot of strength within herself and she also became more respectful because she starts the movie not being very <laughs> respectful or very interested in other people really. She's quite selfish and she's quite lazy and. I thought that was very funny. And I just really like the fact that over the course of the movie, she slowly comes to be like, you know, other people have something to offer. And and she just becomes a nicer, better person. Yeah. And it's a believable yeah. transformation. It's not, it's life sort of goes on instead of just mm -hmm. magically changes. Like the the most magical this movie gets is, you know, some of the later plot points that, you know, we won't spoil for audiences here. Yeah. Other than that, there is a very relatable kernel to this sort of, I, I probably use the word journey so many times, but I like journeys. So we'll just say this journey. Yeah. You have not overused the word. You still have a few more opportunities to use it, in my opinion. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and while we're not jumping to our other film we're talking to, I just like to add that between Lady of the Manor and our featured film, Win Win, you are a master mm -hmm. of the public court system. Oh, you have just you you if anybody wants to know where to get documents that either prove someone has been wrongfully uh, moved to a, an old folks home or maybe has misappropriated some property. <laughs> Melanie Linsky is the person to talk to. She's fully accredited. And that is the overview mm. rental seal of approval. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, that yeah. Great. I can't wait for those calls to come in. <laughs> I was wondering if you could go a little bit more into the idea that you know, people have a vision when they say the word stoner of what they think it's mm -hmm. supposed to be. They think slack-eyed, they think kind of very low energy, but she's not what you would consider a typical stoner. Was there a fight to decide what level she kind of fit within? I mean, I, I myself am not a stoner or a person who partakes in any way. <laughs> it's not something that works for me or ever has. Um, but I know a lot of people who are very high energy and who just kind of use it to like maintain a certain level of um 
just a kind of baseline calm I guess and I feel like she's more in that sort of boat like she's a she's a high energy person who's a little bit anxious and it just helps her chill out a little bit but yeah I didn't want to be like totally like dude you know and it wasn't written in that way so well I mean I know you also talk you you were talking about just working with Judy and because here's the thing both you and Judy to mm. me are the epitome of amazing talent in the business that people mm. utilize perfectly, but still use to like the, the the full potential. I think. I think there's. I think there's more that people are still like. How come I don't see you in every? You, I see you in everything. I think you and Judy need to be in everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just want. Yeah. Is, is it easier also then when you kind of come across somebody that you know? Because it seems like if when it, the credits roll, that there was a certain amount of allowed space to improv. So I'm wondering, is it easy to play against somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, it was super fun to work with her. We'd never worked together before because usually either she or I are doing the part, you know? So it's not, there's not usually a, a role for both of us in a movie. It's usually like, you know, she got the job or Catherine Hahn got the job or I got the job. So, so you, we're not. You were up for WandaVision and Halloween. <laughs> Actually, neither. Actually, neither of those. So, um, uh, I think probably the, those went directly to those ladies. But it was really fun to be with somebody who I've just admired for so long. And it, it, she's just, she's very, very funny. She's very free. And yeah, there was a lot of room for improv, which is important to me. I think in a comedy, there's nothing worse than people were trying to like force it into a little structure. It's just not how anything's going to be funny sometimes in the moment the joke isn't playing and you have to be able to work with it a little bit you have to be able to make it your own and I really love that Justin and Christian allowed us to do that did it ever seem like because as long as a career as Justin has had and I know Christian you know is, is not like completely new to the business whatsoever but it's not like he does mm. as much as Justin does but did you see a level of, as it being not only their first film as directors, but also directing as brothers, was there a level of where one was taking over more than the other, or it didn't really matter, it's balanced out? It was interesting because I did kind of see that, and I saw Christian be the one who was a little more on top of the business side of things, because I think Justin is so used to being in there with the actors and, and talking and laughing. And he would come up after a take and just want to talk about everything he thought was funny and go over moments and be like, oh, you're so hilarious and this worked and that was so funny. And Christian would kind of come up and be like, you know, you have to tell her about this note. Like she forgot this line or she needs to stop here or we need this to be a little bit bigger or whatever the note was. You know, he was very good at being like, we've got to keep it on track. We have a certain amount of days to make this movie and it's a job. So he was really, but he also was like very loving and um, complimentary as well. But Justin definitely was the one who was having, having a bit more fun. I think it was harder for him to not be in the mix of it with the actors. Yeah, someone always has to be the German Shepherd and someone has to be the Golden Retriever. So you've got like yeah. serious business <laughs> and, oh my God, that was so great. Okay, so how about the next take? Uh, you you kind of step on my foot a little bit, but not enough that it hurts, but enough that it just gets the line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Justin was the Golden Retriever for sure. So how long did you uh, shoot this film? Because uh, and, and also, was it all in Savannah? Because I know it's set in Savannah, but sometimes you can kind of 
sneak around that? Well, yeah. Yeah, we actually filmed it in Tampa, so none of it was in Savannah. <laughs> Maybe they did a couple of exterior shots in Savannah. Savannah's my favorite city ah. in America, so I was excited, and I thought we were going to get to go to Savannah. And Tampa is different <laughs> to Savannah. No, Tampa's great, and they were really welcoming, and they were really wonderful, and our crew was awesome, and I'm, I'm glad that we shot it there. But I was like, oh, beautiful Savannah. Um, but I think they did a great job of making it look like Savannah. Yeah, oddly, oddly enough, my friend is actually the uh, director of photography. Nick Margulis is my colleague oh, and friend. Awesome. <laughs> and so I was following this because he was posting a few things from the set. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. And I'm seeing everybody there. I'm like, and then so when I saw the films coming out, I'm like, okay, it's, it's here. Yeah. It's finally here. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. And he's also in the movie. He has a little part in the movie. He's a yeah. General Sherman. Yeah, exactly. With his, with his, it's very funny. With his hairy chest all out. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Is this also the kind of, like you were saying though, because they allowed for that room for improv, was this the type of movie where what we're seeing is maybe a fraction of the original script or it's pretty much exactly the same as just that we were able to get a few things thrown in there? Yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same. And um, most of their jokes are, are still in there. You know, they worked really, really hard on constructing the script and they weren't about to like throw it out <laughs> the window. So most of it is their writing and their scripts. And then we just got to add a few little fun things here and there. I, I think it's interesting because as Mike said, you know, our, our, our overdue rental feature for the day is win-win, you know, film, which it came out in a time where I think in the span of three years, there were all these films that were, you know, you consider them indie films that they are, what I consider to be the truly best films of the past like 10, 15 years. Win-Win, uh, mm. Frank, uh, The Guard, stuff like that. Um, yeah. But it's funny going back and looking at it because in some ways I could see that maybe Cindy is the real life version of maybe where Hannah was heading to if it was a more serious uh, film. Yeah. I'm wondering if you, if not that you say you're gonna go back and look at old performances to like think about it, but does anything ever, ever hit you? Like this kind of reminds me of something I did once. I, I had not made that connection. That's a really cool um, connection to make. I know sometimes, sometimes if something feels too familiar to me, like there's a certain element of getting things out of your system, I guess, in the way that I work. Mm. I, I choose things based on an internal feeling that I have. And I think, okay, this is here and it's ready to come out and I need to explore whatever this feeling is in me or this part of my history or whatever and so sometimes um I'll read something and it's really good but I feel like I've looked into that enough I don't have anything new to offer um but I didn't I didn't feel that with Lady of the Manor I wasn't like well <laughs> this reminds me <laughs> but that's really awesome um yeah that was she was a really interesting character I felt very lucky to to get to do that See, that was a concern I definitely wanted to raise because I know a lot of audiences, I might have, I think I have seen you in films before Two and a Half Men, but for a lot of audiences, that was like the linchpin that everyone just saw you for so long. And mm. anytime someone hears Melanie Lynch, it's like, oh, Rose from Two and a Half Men. It's like, oh yeah, I know her. And I, I wanted to mention that because this is definitely different from that sort of milieu that they had you working in earlier and what I was wondering what was the first role that you could think of that you took 
for in that inspired by that, like, all right, I need to get away from this character, not because you didn't like her, but because, okay, I need a change. Well, it was kind of like um, a, a change up for me to do two and a half. I mean, I, I had just gotten my green card and so I was able to audition for pilots and they auditioned for this pilot and I got it. And then they asked me if I wanted to be a regular and I was like, why not? I guess like, what a weird thing for me to be doing this American sitcom. I'd come from independent movies. It was all I had done. I'd never done a television show before. Um, and I'd been working at that point for about eight years doing indies. And so I, I did it for a couple of years as a regular. And then I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to go crazy. I, I just, it, it was really fun, but you know, you can't, they want the audience to be able to turn the television on and see any episode of two and a half men and be like, here's this person. I know how they're going to behave. The story is pretty consistent. They just want someone to be able to pick up season two, season nine and not have too many changes have happened. Yeah. So that was tough for me because I was like, I'm going to be playing this wacky person. And I was really lucky that they let me out of my contract as a regular. I had to really, really fight, but they did it. Um, so from season three onwards, I was allowed to just come back when I was free, which allowed me to do other jobs um, and explore you know, other things as an actor. And I sort of got back to where I was most comfortable I guess like two and a half men was really fun but for me it was like a stretch it was it was different and so I think in my second season of two and a half men Shattered Glass came out the movie I did um with Peter Sarsgaard and Hayden Christensen and and that was a thing that um I saw that movie and I was like yeah I need to be doing more stuff like this and then the first thing I did after I got released from my contract um, that I could not have done if I was still a regular was Clint Eastwood's movie Flags of Our Fathers with Ryan Phillippe, who was in Lady of the Manor. <laughs> um, so that was the first time I worked with Ryan. Um, and that was another sort of sign to me that it was heading in the right direction. I was like, okay, if I'm doing a Clint Eastwood movie, I think, I'm, <laughs> I, think I made the right choice yeah. to not make millions of dollars on the sitcom or whatever, you know. Well, kind of, kind of um, piggybacking on that, you know, because instead of trying to choose something to have a different version of yourself out there, like people used to see me as this, I wanted to see me as this, I'm wondering where mm. you come to stuff like Lady of the Manor and Win Win, where, and other stuff as well, but since we're kind of focusing on those two, it's like you may be infatuated by the script, but then you also see this cast that you're going to get to work with, these this filmmakers you're going to get to work with, does one ever kind of outplay the other? Like, I kind of like the script, but I love the people. Or I love the people, not sure about the script, I'm going to join because of this. Do you know, I used to I used to make choices like that now and again, where I was like, well, that character's really fun. I'm not sure about the script, but that's a fun character to play. Or, you know, I, I like this person, I think the director's good. And then I did a movie called The Informant, a Steven Soderbergh movie, and I worked with Matt Damon. He, um, I played his wife in the movie. And he gave me a piece of advice that I have literally lived by, mm. where he said, people, when they're looking at your career, they don't look at the list of films and go, oh, he played like a cool character in that one. Or, oh, that was a good cast. You know, they said, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. That was a bad movie. That was a good movie. And that's all people remember. Mm. So he was like, it doesn't matter if you did two scenes in a movie that was a great script, it's probably going to be a great movie. And then you have another great movie on your resume. 
And he was like, that's what I try to do is just build a list of great movies. And I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> this is good advice. And it really took me out of the trap of trying to change it up or trying to play a funny character or, you know, and there are still times where I'm like, this seems like a lot of fun or this seems like something really different for me. But if the script doesn't, if it's a comedy and needs to like consistently, consistently make me laugh on almost every page, or if it's a drama, I need to just not be able to stop reading it. Like I, I have a pretty high bar at this point. Well, I'm sure in the same breath also, though, it is great because you can have that ideal and live by it, but still go on to set and go, oh, I, I get to spend time with Bert Young today. All right, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was such a character. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there were there were a lot of interesting, you know, and Paul Giamatti and Amy Ryan and Win Win, like. Bobby Cannavale. Oh. oh, God, what a cast. And then, of course, you got Tom McCarthy there doing the, the directing and the writing duties. Yeah, my God. And I was the biggest station agent fan that there was. I mean, I just think that's one of the greatest yeah. movies ever made. So to get to work with the person and the visitor, like to get to work with that guy, I just, I would have done anything. I, I was so excited. And just his wonderful penchant to have stories taking place up in North Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And that's where my ex-husband is from, who I was married to at the time. So I was very familiar with the area. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I went to college uh, around there. But oh yeah, yeah like the, I think the movie was New Providence and I was over in Madison. So it was like not too far, but yeah, pretty interesting. I've been to Jersey City. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's funny too because you know Mike was saying earlier about you know for him for seeing you you know and, and realizing it was two and a half men. I'm definitely one of those mm. per- people that I saw Heavenly Creatures when that came out and mm. was just blown away. Of course, just like anybody who's who's not who's not going to be. Do you feel in any way that for us again? You do amazing work all the time. You're in amazing films, but do you think is there anything that's ever going to match Heavenly Creatures? That's a really good question. I mean, it was the most amazing way to start. (laughs) And I just, I've I've had to get to a point where I've just said, okay, that was its own being. It was its own experience. Not everybody's Peter Jackson, you know? (laughs) It's not always going to be that same experience and it was my first job my first acting job so I was learning they literally gave me a day a free day to learn how to hit a mark how to not look at the camera how you know all the stuff that you need to know as a film actor that I just didn't know from doing school plays so it it just it taught me everything I know and it was a um but yeah I don't think anything's ever ever gonna be like that but I do feel really lucky I feel like I've gotten to work with a lot of um incredible people there have certainly been experiences that I've I've treasured as much as that one yeah now when you work with a director like a Tom McCarthy or even a Peter Jackson because these were sort of earlier in their filmographies as you visit their work afterwards are you able to sort of pick out like oh you know they I see they've changed from Tom's kind of changed with how he holds the uh or aims the camera from win-win or oh I see Peter scaled it back a bit with King Kong yeah yeah, Peter, um, you yeah, certainly noticed that he's been scaling it back uh, time and again. <laughs> um, 
No, I mean, there's there's visual styles that people have. Um, I think all great filmmakers are also great collaborators and, you know, they, they work with different DPs, they work with different actors and they let a, a lot of those those people's ideas and talents inform their filmmaking as well. So um, Heavenly Creatures also was very much Fran Walsh's movie, Peter's Wife. Yes. She, it was her story and her idea and she really drove the writing of the script and she was on set every single day mm-hmm. working with us with Peter and I know she's been very very present on his other films too but that was like her her baby um but yeah it's 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 interesting when you sort of understand how somebody works and, and then you see it in their next movies you know I'm gonna change the subject slightly because I, I I was I didn't think about this until I was watching the credits for Lady of the Manor because of course I know you are not American um mm. but there are so many people out there for so many actors they're gonna see them because they only know them from these mainstream things and they think they're an American until one day they hear them you know in their original speaking accent. But I think for a lot of people also, they go in and they think, oh, they probably keep the accent on the whole time. Uh, during shootings, they don't want to lose or something like that. But it's, it's so refreshing to see you because there was a part where they were showing the credits where you went, you kind of you broke and there was a cut and you went straight right into your, your, your regular accent. Oh, yeah. Do people, like, are, are people still amazed when they, do you find people coming up to you going like, I didn't know you were, you were an American. How is, the, how is that possible? Because there's so much of your work that is really is, hearing you with the American accent. Oh yeah, I haven't done very much in my own accent and the stuff that I have done has been in New Zealand or Australia and it hasn't, you know, some of it's traveled over, but not all of it. Yeah, um, yeah if people come up and recognize me from two and a half men, they there's a moment where they're just like shocked. They're just looking at me like they don't understand what's happening. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very confusing for people. That'd be a quick way to sort of get out of a situation. Oh, aren't you that late? No, I'm not. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not even going to try <laughs> to the accent because I don't want to do an. I don't want to insult the good state of New Zealand. Thank you. Um, that's a good idea, actually. I have a lot of um, awkwardness, social anxiety, so it's you know, it's sometimes hard for me to be in those situations. So it'd be good to have an out. Yeah. Rule number one of overdue mm. rentals: it's always good to have an out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, she'll still bl- stare blankly at the screen for a good like three minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Too. <laughs> the audience will never know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it's funny too because you think about it because there, there are even roles where you can go into a film where it's necessarily not an American city or it's not supposed to be anywhere specifically, but they still have you doing the American accent. Yeah. I mean, I did a movie where the director said, oh, I think it's fine if you're from New Zealand. Like, don't worry about it. And I was like, are you sure? And he said, yeah, let's just do. And I had to dub every single line I did in that movie because in test screenings, people were like, where is she from? Why does she have a weird voice? Wait, I I didn't know she wasn't American. Like, why is she doing? And he just said, there was just so many questions. It was so distracting. So I just had to dub every single line. And that's hard because the way your mouth moves when you're speaking in a New Zealand accent is different to how it moves when you're speaking in an American accent. Oh yeah, all the textures of like some of any different language, it's just there's different mouth feels to that. Yeah. Like a hard German R will roll your mouth in a certain way and yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, it's completely different. So I had to do an American accent while still moving my mouth in the way that I moved it doing a New Zealand accent. It was not fun. He just was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Every line we recorded, he'd be like, great, we got it. I'm so sorry. Anyway, next line. <laughs> it was really, really funny. Yeah, I got I got us away a little bit from win-win with the whole accent talk. So I, I want to kind of go back mm. and ask, because I, 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 as I was re-watching it to prepare for today, I, I kind mm. of like forgot, and I didn't forget, like in my head, I always remembered it being where, even though I know that she let them take care of him at the end of the day and, and kind of just like, I'm mm. gonna take the money and take the checks. I still felt she was actually working on herself by the end of the film. And now when I'm rewatching, I'm not sure. Do you, have a, do, you, do you have a vision of Cindy where she is or isn't kind of following that trail by the end of the movie before we don't, we don't see? I felt very strongly that she was doing her absolute best and that she wanted him back. She was clean. There originally was a scene in the movie um, where she relapses. She mm -hmm. wakes up in bed with a stranger and has it's just been too stressful for her. She goes back to her childhood home and walks through it. A lot of shit went on there that was horrible and she can't handle the memories and the pressure is too much and she relapses and it was a really uh, tragic scene. So I really, really believe that she was really, she was doing her best. She was trying to look as good as she could. She was trying to look presentable. And I do think at the end of the movie that she kept working on herself. I think there also was a line that was cut out at the end of the movie where I say to him, um, I love you, you know that, right? And he couldn't respond. Like he couldn't say, yes, I know that. And that was like the most heartbreaking. <laughs> I understand them taking it out. But for me, I was like, oh God, it's so important for me to have the audience know that, that she feels that way, that she was trying, but you know. Well, that's what's really interesting about win-win, at least, you know, I'm a first timer to this movie and mm. watching it, seeing Mike and Cindy, it isn't a clear cut case of good, bad, and you're not really, mm. you're, you're rooting for people at different points, but the story is allowed to change in a very human way where by the end of it, Mike and Cindy do not feel that different because they're both yeah. these people who are flawed, but at the same time, their motivations are also sort of counterbalanced by the sweetness of wanting to do better, especially when getting to know these people again. That's a, such a great way to put it. And I, Paul Giamatti and I, for whatever reason, naturally have amazing chemistry. <laughs> and my great dream, I'm putting it out there into the universe, is that somebody writes a romantic comedy for us because it would be great. Oh, I um, that. Yeah, I, I just feel like there's something like chemical, it really, really works. And so my dream, uh, you know, is that that happens at some point in the future. But while we were doing win-win, I decided to kind of lean into it a little bit because I was like, I think that Cindy is a person who doesn't know how to relate to men in any other way. She doesn't know how to be anything other than kind of sweet and a little bit flirty. And I leaned into the energy of like, I might be someone that you would want to know if things were different. And I think he did a little bit too. And it helped even the playing field a little bit. So she wasn't just like a villain. Mm -hmm. 
who was showing up and that, you know, they both wanted the same thing at the end of the day and they were both going about it in kind of terrible ways. Especially with that, just the powerhouse scene between the two of you at the school. And like that, that, that shot that's still in the, that's yeah. in the trailer was like, why don't you give him a call? You got the number. Just that, yeah. oh. that, that is probably the centerpiece, one of the centerpiece scenes, not because it's just, the energy's there, but it's not, you crank that up a little bit more you throw in the strings yeah. to the orchestra and that's like, that's your Oscar Beatty moment. And it's like, he's not, <laughs> Tom McCarthy doesn't really go for that. No, he never goes for that, which is something I respect so much about his filmmaking. It's it's really economical um, and it's very real. Everything's really real. Um, but yeah, oh God, Paul in that moment was just so good. So, so, so good. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's another one of those performances where I say this a lot and people get sick of me saying it because I think that so many audiences think that unless you're crying or yelling, you're not acting. Mm. And so to be able to yeah. kind of put so much forth in, in all these different emotions with just that subtlety is, is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. There's so much power in what he does with, with so little, with such restraint. He's just brilliant. Well, I wish we could stay here longer and talk about multiple things that we even haven't been able to get to, but we have to let you go. So thank you so much for joining us. Sorry oh, again for, for having me for the, the <laughs> weird internet at the beginning. Okay. It's, well, you, you made it on. It was great to talk to you both. So thank you for having me. Uh, definite honor. Melanie, stay safe. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks. You guys too. Melanie Linsky. I don't think I could be any more of a fan, especially after getting to talk to the woman herself. Uh, honestly, I'm I'm, I'm kind of sad we couldn't do like just an extra half hour on on heavenly creatures because there was obviously so much we both would have wanted to touch on. Yeah. But her performances in both of these movies are polar opposites, but yet it gives her so much more restraint to work with. Again. Uh, versus what she would do on Two and a Half Men, which is, you, you know, she she just really nailed the description of the show where it's basically, you just turn it on and you don't have to watch it from episode one to 12 to realize how kooky Rose is or anyone else is. You know the world, you know the stakes. I've never watched Two and a Half Men. It's okay. It's the, the As much as I have come to despise Chuck Lorre sitcoms, <laughs> the one thing I will give the man is it is a mercenary formula. It is a half an hour where they have their laugh bits. It is punctuated by a laugh track. But even if you just, you know, I usually tune that shit out while I'm watching it. It's basic humor. It's not to very politically correct. It's not very highbrow. It is a distraction sitcom. And I give them the credit that they could run these shows like Two and a Half Men ran for, I think, 11 years. Big Bang ran for 12 and they've still got that goddamn spinoff on like they they have formulas that seem precise with where they drop their laugh beats fine but that's separate so from all the matter for today anyway you're not missing much <laughs> i'm sorry if i've upset our fans fans of the big bang theory you can you know fight me on the internet i'm sorry no but but getting but, but speak to these movies specifically you know I, we talked we, we talked about it there very quickly with, with Melanie. It's just that it's a strange way because they're not the same character, but in some ways they could be the, the one side of the same coin. So, you know, you could kind of look at them as being somewhat similar. So it's not like we're just like 
pulling out of the air a reason why win-win is our overdue rental for today. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, just again, Tom McCarthy is really good with human stories. Mm. No, I mean, uh, he, he recently did Stillwater, which has caught some flack. It is a bit controversial, but I thought it was, I think it's a decent film. I don't, I wouldn't say it's one of his best, but you know, you go from something like Stillwater to Spotlight to the station agent or even win-win. The man understands human-driven conflict and human-driven stories. And that's something that, it's an indie movie now, but you go back 20, 30 years, this would have been like, oh, kind of interesting considering a future episode we're going to have coming. Uh, it would have been a Touchstone or Hollywood Pictures. It would just would have been a Hollywood Pictures movie back in the 90s. Well, you, you mentioned it during, the, during, the, during our talk with Melanie, this was your first time seeing Win Win, right? Yes. Did you have any clue about it beforehand or, or this is just like you just jumped in blind? I only really knew that I watched the trailer maybe once before, but it was because I was looking for the product listing on YouTube. <laughs> but basically my, this is my first experience. I just knew that there was a kid, he wrestled, Paul Giamatti was involved and that was it. Like I remember seeing the poster from the year that this movie was out and it was just the two of them sitting on that bench sort of glumly. Yeah. And also the cover of, the, also the cover of my Blu-ray. Yeah. And I'm glad that I went in like that because this was really an interesting take, not only on a, an inspirational sports movie, but on a human drama. Yeah, well, it's, it's very much the human drama more than anything else. The sport's just part of it, you know. It, it's, it's interesting. This is where I would have liked to have talked to Tom, you know, kind of get more background of like, well, what happened? Did you see? Because th- it's not like specific, but that scene in the movie where they look, they look up the videos of, 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 of him wrestling and they're like, oh my God, you see this? Like, was it like something where like you just happen to see like because I know there are videos of him that exist before this movie came out that that was kind of the thing like it was a it was a YouTube sensation almost and I'm wondering if somebody like Tom or somebody saw the video and like oh I should write a script around a wrestling thing because look at this or did they write a script and it had wrestling in it and they said let's find somebody and they look at clips and they said oh this kid can wrestle let's just let's see if he can act I wonder I would like to think that they was this his first film yeah. Because unless, if, unless I'm going crazy, I'm, I'm almost positive it was. Because if this was his first film, then I would assume they, they might have just like had it in the, either they had it written specifically in the story or maybe they just had him doing sports. And then when they saw that this kid was a wrestler, it's like, okay, we're going to go and uh, change this to wrestling. Uh, yeah, this is his very first credit. Huh. He was in a short the same year called Pig Lady. I don't know if it came out before or after. But he was a short, but other than that, this is his very first credit. And you know what? And I honestly should just look up his Wikipedia or something like that, because I'm sure it would say. Okay, Schaefer had been a successful high school wrestler winning the 2010 New Jersey State Wrestling Championship at 119 pounds as a sophomore. But his wrestling career ended when he broke his L5 vertebra. Ah. So he was a sophomore at uh, Hunterton Central Regional High when he was cast as a young wrestler the movie win-win after a classmate tipped him off about the auditions to a film that required an athlete wrestler. Ah, so they were specifically looking for a wrestler that could yeah. act. Absolutely. But I love, I love, I mean, that's the thing, like, win-win as a, as a whole, I love everything about it. I love how kind of heartwarming it could be and funny it could be, but also, again, very serious and looking into the human condition. But specifically about the role of Kyle, it's, you know, they mentioned some things he did in his past that were maybe mistakes. And he says like, gosh, it's a mistake, but he's just kind of this, he does have some temper issues technically, 
but he's totally the opposite of what you expect for these characters. And that's the idea. Like they don't expect this from him being so level-headed and kind of just like open to, you know, the world as a whole and just being, you know, just receptive to things, that, to everything that's going on around him. So I, I just love that about the character. That's not, it's not what you normally expect from these kind of things. Well, that's what I love about the whole movie because you, again, if, if this was, the, the trade-off is if this was made as, you know, we're going to go back to our alternate universe, Hollywood pictures, 1991 version starring Kevin Klein and Elijah Wood, let's say. Uh, first of all, I don't know if Elijah Wood is a wrestler, so I don't know if he would have been able to do that, but he is welcome to come on our show and prove us wrong. Uh, we'll actually wrestle him. But also, I think if this was one of those bigger studio movies that got a bigger budget, you would not have been able to go as personal and as off the beaten trail with this because win-win definitely goes places, it goes places with the characters that you wouldn't expect because Paul Giamatti, again, his Mike is not any better than Cindy. No. Because both of them were looking to get a payday out of this whole thing. But at the same time, they're not just in it for the payday and they are affected by the process that they go through with these characters, with Burt Young and, and with Alex Schaefer. Like this isn't just a clean cut, ooh, you're bad, but you're looking for, for redemption, aren't you? It's like, okay, I didn't go into this with the purest of intentions, but I never, I was not trying to screw anyone over and now I care. Yeah, it's also, it's also a case where, of course, when you want to root for the protagonist and you want, you want Mike to come out okay. And even though technically he does, you know, he, he, it's not like the way it's presented. It's not like he didn't learn a lesson. It's not like he didn't get off scot-free and it's not like it's completely out of the realm of possibility in the real world where normally you probably would have went to jail, you know? Yeah. Um, you two can, more, two seconds later. And he does, if he doesn't stop from Margot Martindale, he would have been in jail. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny because again, with the whole idea of win-win, it's, it's, it's almost like win-win, lose-lose, win-lose-win, you know, at the end of the day, it's a win and there is no official loss, but it's, it's, it's the, the loss part of it is the idea that you've learned how to make your real issues a win. Yeah. And just, again, Tom McCarthy doesn't take manipulative shortcuts, but at the same time, the emotion in this movie is very real and very present. And again, just one of those centerpieces was that scene between Melanie and Paul. And I, I just love hearing that they had that chemistry as actors and that even though it never really veers into romantic territory, just the fact that they veered into that in order to fuel their performances, that just, that wows me. We got to get working on that script. Yes. Oh, 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 I would love I would love to see Paul Giamatti and Melanie Linsky in a romantic comedy. And Paul Giamatti, just watching him in this reminds me of him in Cinderella Man, because when he gets into that inspirational shouting mode, he's really good at doing it and pumping it up, but it's not just, this is the trailer moment. Like they're moments that are great for trailers, but it's him really just digging into it. Like I remember, you know, before seeing Cinderella Man, they have the trailers where he's like, you know, barking at uh, Russell Crowe. He's like, you gotta beat it from the inside out, from the inside out. And it's like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> this man could probably get me to, to pay taxes more exuberantly if he like said the right things. 
and slaps you across the face face before you. Yeah. File that W10. W2. Whatever. But with that, everybody should now go cross off win win from their overdue rentals list. Lady of the Manor is available for you right now to download on on demand services in select theaters if you want to go check it out. Go check it out. Mike, where can people find us? Well, that's a good question. And I'm going to try and do this without my other notebook because, well, I have my notebook in front of me, but I'm going to try and do it through the powers of deception. Yes. I mean, uh, perception. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, at Facebook and TikTok at Overdue Rentals. I had to look at that. On Instagram at Overdue Rental Show. But I remember that if you want to email us, you just go ahead and drop a line at overdue rentals at gmail.com. Also, if you just, you want to find back catalog episodes, uh, you want to listen to that Heavenly Creatures episode, or if you've seen Lady of the Manor, you're listening to this, and you want to hear an episode of Lady of the Manor with some of the other collaborators that were involved, uh, go to wherever you find fine podcasts and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Till then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.